Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jaromsky Show, Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Take it away, Benny J. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It is Tuesday, October 8th. You're probably hearing this Saturday, whatever the date is or whenever. It's a podcast. You can listen to it anytime. Just like to point this out, that this show is being uh, pre-taped and we're going to drop it uh, for this weekend. Uh, As we always do with bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show, I ask our distinguished guests to introduce themselves. So distinguished guests, introduce yourself. Joe Colley. The Chicago Sun Times. <laughs> Joe Colley. They say, I'm yes. from Ohio, so that you know that's what you got to do. You got to th- emphasize the 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 the. Yeah. Uh, Joe Colley is a sports writer on the Chicago Sun Times. He he's, he aborted the introduction. I'll do the rest of it. He covers the Bulls, my beloved Chicago Bulls. Everybody knows I love the Chicago Bulls. Yes, this is a political talk show, but Dennis allowed me to do co- have Colley come on to talk about the Bulls. We had you once before, right. and it did very well for a political talk show. So even if it didn't do well, everybody knows I love the Bulls. So, Joe, uh, thanks for coming in. Glad let's, to be here. Let's talk a little Chicago Bulls. All right, just uh, let's take a moment. It's been since July, since you you were last on the show in July. Just introduce yourself one more time. You cover the Bulls, but before that, you covered the White Sox. I covered the White Sox from, well, I was at the Daily Southtown. I originally left Ohio. I covered Ohio State for three years and then left Ohio to come here and cover the Cubs for about three weeks. And for the Daily South Town, and then I, they switched me to the White Sox when um, TJ Quinn left to go to the East Coast and eventually became an ESPN guy. But uh, switched to the White Sox and did the White Sox, uh, started with Jerry Manuel as the manager and went all the way through Ozzy. And by the time Ozzy was traded, uh, our esteemed sports editor, Chris DeLuca, decided that uh, there were so many burnt bridges there with uh, the White Sox that it was time to get me out of there. So uh, this is year seven or eight for the Bulls now. I did a column for two years, was uh-huh. a columnist, and then uh, now I'm doing the Bulls. I'd also like to point out the ownership of the White Sox is the same as the ownership of the Bulls. Right. So it's But Daddy fun. Jerry isn't around the Bulls as much as he is around the White Sox. Jerry so. being Reinsdorf, Reinsdorf, the owner right. of the Bulls. Michael and, Reinsdorf has, uh, you know. And I, and I put this out the last time uh, that Joe was on the show, the first time Joe was on the show. Uh, Joe Colley covers the Bulls sort of the way I cover City Hall. Uh, and the only difference is that he has to go into the locker room and confront the people he writes right, about. Right, right. There is no locker room for me to go to. What's that like after you've written an, uh, an article or a column critical of the Bulls? To well, go I mean, I think as long as it's fair, um, you know, if, if they want to discuss it, they discuss it. If they don't, they don't. I mean, you know, I've had some 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 good ones. Orlando Cabrera and I had to be separated in Cleveland. Uh, Carlos Lee and I had a uh, about a ten minute shouting match in the dugout. Carlos uh, Lee, the former first former, baseman, former outfielder, outfielder for the White Sox. Yeah. Um, so with the Bulls, I mean, I haven't had 
you know, Pax and I have had our moments where we don't talk for a month or two, but you know, lately everything's been fairly solid. I mean, they, they know, I think they understand that, that my job is not to, um, kiss their ass. And, and my job is to be checks and balances for the fans and decide, um, if the fans want to buy into that product. And I always told them, Hey, if you want me to be softer, don't charge for admission. And that was always my thing. And I would tell that to Jerry back when in the White Sox days. And, um, you know, it, it's, and then the sad thing is I think that's a dying trait in sports writing. Um, you're seeing teams take control of journal, the journalists more. Um, you're seeing teams, um, try to control the message more, whether it's on their website or their social media feed. And you're seeing teams now understand that it's easy to persuade journalists. Now you give them a couple of breadcrumbs. Hey, pull them aside. Hey, we're going to sign this guy to a 10 day contract. I'm only giving that to you. So you think you're getting this exclusive, but it's all, you know, it's all Fugazi. It's all a mirage. Cause that's not, that. does it matter to you if you get the exclusive? Do you still like, no, I mean, you know, I when, when I jumped to the bulls, you know, I mean, Casey Johnson from the tribune is, was an institution. So, you know, you're battling a guy that's been there for, you know, 20 some plus years and is a, prof- a professional and great at his craft. Um, my whole thing, I always looked at it this way. You know, I'm not from Chicago. There's a lot of born Chicago media in the in this um, in this pool, which I always had a problem with. I think you cover a team better when you didn't grow up a fan of it. So, I like my mentality with with that, um, and I think I came into this into this beat and said, okay. I have to be who I am. And I think eventually players and and people identify that where if it's something that is newsy or more of dotting the I's and crossing the T's, KC's going to get that. If it's more bitching about the situation or complaining about the way things are, guys would pull me aside because they know that I, I, I am not going to pull punches when it comes to the front office and and um or other other teammates and you know i think a a lot of it had to do with the relationship i mean you know the latest example i mean jimmy butler and i built a pretty solid relationship because you know it's no secret that he and Paul gasol were in one corner and derrick rose and joaquin were in another and that civil war that was going on in fred hoiberg's first year that was basically created by general manager gar foreman you know lying to guys telling this group this something and this other group something um and so yeah i had no problem reporting that because to me that was going to hit a a wall and eventually cost this team and it did i mean we saw that in the playoffs now uh yes we could talk about that play that was the playoff 2006 i don't know who you can blame for the they beat milwaukee in the first round and then they lost to the Cavs in the second round that is correct uh and uh all right so well, that was 2015. Uh, Thibodeau's last year. Thibodeau's last year playoff. All right. So when you're in, I know you don't want to give away sources, but when you're negotiating a very uh, uh, what, contra, uh, controversial situation like the one you just described, where right. uh, teams into factions and, and individuals are talking to you, what's what are sort of the ground rules that you lay out? Uh, well, the, I mean, I know what you're saying. The main thing is, I mean, look, I was the first one to report the whole Ozzie Kenny Civil War. Ozzie a Gian. year before yeah. it happened, Ozzie Gain and Ken Williams, the general manager. And they were in deny, 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 and leave me on Collie Island. Then I look like the only <laughs> ass that's out there reporting it, and it must be a lie. Yeah. And that was Kenny's spin. But it became so volatile 
and so many pieces involved. You had Don Cooper cutting a, a deal behind a other co- the other coaches' backs to get an extension while he was the guy that would call us every offseason, hey, my contract's up. Can you guys do something? I'm thinking of buying this house in North Carolina. Can you guys do something to get me an extension and all this stuff? And all of a sudden, this dude, and that's why Ozzy called him the Judas because this, this dude becomes a snitch for Ken Williams, signs a deal behind all the other coaches' back, and then is in that coach's room for months listening to them bitch about Ken Williams and the contract extension. And where do you think he's going with all that information? I mean, so, um, you know, it became so volatile. They had Jerry Reinsdorf had to come out in a statement and admit there was a problem a year, you know, and the Tribune knew it was going on, but they, they just wanted to kind of turn an eye and they, they marched little David Hall out there to, to be Kenny's mouthpiece. And it was the sun times versus the, the Tribune in this battle because they knew what side I was on. And so they had David take the other side. Um, and to me, it always comes down to, it's not about a side. If you're on a coach or it's about what's right and what's wrong. And in that instance, Ozzy was right. Kenny was wrong. Kenny made it personal. He was, he had professional envy mm-hmm. over all the, the, the glam and the, and the, and the, you know, the attention Ozzy was getting. And, you know, that's why I nicknamed him Hollywood. I mean, you know, Kenny became Hollywood. He wanted to date actresses. I won't say their names. I've said them before on the air, but you know, on the score, but we don't need to redo that. Yeah. that but I mean, that's, that's him. So it's not about whose side you're going to pick. It's going to be who's right and who's wrong. Well, and in the Jimmy Derrick thing, yeah. it was Jimmy and Powell busting their ass every day in practice and Derek and Joakim getting massages every day in the front office telling them, don't listen to Tom. We'll take care of your minutes. Tom doesn't care about your future. You know, hiring Derek's rehab uh, girl, that Jen Swanson, and having her come in. And, and I'm at, the players would come up to me all the time. Jen doesn't even realize I'm on this team. She realizes there's two people on this team. It was Derek and then eventually Joakim. And she could care. And that was the one that was in charge of all the players' health. Come on. But do players know enough to come up when they come up to a reporter and say, uh, this is off the record, but I want to tell you X, Y, Z. Is that, that's what I was getting at. Oh, the yeah, they order code reds all the time. Yeah, oh, there's code reds order all the time. The Cabrera story was, and I don't, it's so many years now, Jermaine Dye pulled me aside and said, yeah, this dude is calling during the game to not have the scorekeeper just change a call that he made, but to have it put on his own teammate. Usually you call up and say, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's don't, don't give it an error. It was a hit. He was saying, yeah, it was an error, but it was Toby Hall, the catcher's fault. I mean, so that's, you know, that's unbelievable. Yeah. So I wrote that story and wrote a whole column about it. And that, that well, what a, what a, one of the fun things I do, and we're going, uh, but I, I, let's take this to this tangent. One of the fun things I do when I read your stories is try to figure out who the source is. Because you'll say, like, for instance, uh, I'm trying to think, oh, when there was the Jimmy Butler, uh, Derek Rose uh, situation where they were obviously could not get along. Right. It was so obvious. And so uh, you, you, you would phrase it something like somebody close to Jimmy Butler. All these guys have, baseball is different. The NBA, all these guys have camps. And that's the best way to call them. Because, you know, Jimmy would be like, hey, you know, I want you to meet my brother. And then a white kid would walk up to you and then you'd be like, but Jimmy called all of them his brother, whether it was the, the adopted brother or whether it was a trainer. These were all his brothers. That was his family. And if you know his background, you yeah. understand that family to him is different than what you and I you know, consider family. Mm-hmm. And so all these guys have camps and people that are close to him. That's where a lot of this stuff comes from. 
you know, the player may hint stuff to you, but nobody wants that, especially in the NBA locker room where it's so few players, nobody wants that footprint yeah. somehow leading to them. So their camps and their guys do a lot of the, uh, hey, you know, I just want to let you know this is what's going on. It, it, that's how, mo- in my experience, the NBA, it's mostly coming out of camps. All right, before we uh, take a little deeper dive in this year's Chicago Bulls, my beloved Chicago Bulls, I'm predicting, by the way, that they'll be world champions, and Joe will joining me in Grant Park uh, in July. <laughs> so, <laughs> try not to laugh too much, Joe. Um, before we get uh, the deep dive into that, uh, this is something that's been on my mind, and I teased you with this before we went on, and so let's just talk about it. Uh, I'm v- also a, a Bears fan. I'm right. exceedingly frustrated with the Chicago Bears. I right. assume you follow them at least by reading the articles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this season has been, even though they're, it's only early, it's still early, it's been very disappointing to watch their play. Uh, and I've been thinking more and more of saying this, the worst single decision by a Chicago general manager in the 21st century, so that begins in 2000, right? right. The 21st century it has been, and I say this knowing everything the Bulls have done, okay? Because I'm obsessive about the Bulls, um, has been the decision by Ryan Pace of the Chicago Bears to trade up for quarterback Mitch Trubisky when he could have taken Patrick Mahomes, or might not have traded, up, might not have needed to even trade up. To that's correct. Trubisky, right? Mahomes was taken in the t- with the tenth, I right, believe. Right, right. Don't quote me. Maybe the eighth. Uh, Ryan went. Pace went from the third to the second to get Mitch Trubisky. I'm not clearly nobody wanted him. All right. So that's I would say that's the number one worst decision. I could argue that Brock for Broglio, which is way before your time. You were still in Ohio if you were even born when Brock versus for Broglio right. occurred to the Cubs was the worst decision of the uh, 20th century so do you uh, what's your worst decision by a chicago uh, general manager? i mean that's you know the quarterback thing is tough because we're seeing it play out but who knows what he would have become with the bears who knows if andy reed's system was just perfectly tailor-made for what patrick mahomes ha- has become so that one you can always say okay but you know was he the right time at the the, the right guy at the right time would he have translated to the, what the Bears are trying to do offensively. So I get it because you, you get to see it every Sunday and go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, to me, some of the bigger ones were the, th- the firing of Thibodeau, I think, really set the Bulls back. Um, the, I mean, then you could go into things of not listening to Thibodeau and, and Marcus Teague over Draymond Green, things like that. I mean, could you imagine if they would have Jimmy Butler and Draymond Green on that team with Thibodeau coaching those two and what he would have gotten out of those two? I mean, that um, that that's big. To, but, you know, I, I still can't get over the fact that 2005, you win a World Series. You are on top of the town. You have a chance to kind of put a stranglehold on the division. You had an owner who was willing to spend in a division that is, you know, usually pretty cheap. And you couldn't get over petty little high school stuff. How about the White Sox? I'm now. talking about the White Sox. And you let it spiral so bad that one of you had to, to leave town and they decided that Ozzie well, that, was the one. Uh, to me, that, because, yeah. I mean, they, you know, the following year after World Series, yeah, they didn't make the playoffs, but again, they won, what, 90 games and didn't make the playoffs because yeah. tw- the Twins went on that hot streak. And then in 2008, Ozzie took a team that really wasn't a playoff team back to the playoffs. I mean, and that said something about who he was and and ken williams inherited a playoff team everyone forgets jerry Manuel took them to the playoffs in 2000 
Kenny Williams had a shiv in Ron Schuler's back the entire time, you know, working it and finally poking it in, gets the job, and they don't go back to World Series till Ozzy comes in and says, hey, let Maglio go, I don't care, and Carlos Lee's not a winning baseball player. Get rid of him. So you would say the machinations of the White Sox post-World uh, World Series 2005 is the, the worst. petty stuff that it, went on and the decisions uh, made after that. Well, then, argue, then I would say, to trump that ace, the worst of all time, if you're going to allow petty decisions to be in this, as opposed to one single decision like trading this guy for trading right, that right, guy, right. I would say allowing uh, Jerry Krause in 1998 oh, yeah, to, to declare that, yeah. that this it was is the over. last year. Yeah. That was That's the bad. worst. But again, that gets back to the same old, same old of Jerry Reinsdorf always empowering the general manager over the coach or the manager. Yeah. And that goes back to letting him letting Hawk Harrelson fire Tony Larusa. Yeah. You could look back and say that was yeah. one of the worst decisions in Chicago of letting a general manager fire a Hall of Fame manager yeah. because he didn't agree with your ideas of having two different hitting coaches, one for power hitters and one for slap hitters. And, you know, that's kind of stuff that yeah. Hawk wanted to do. And, and Tony LaRusso was like, yeah, no, bro. All right, let's get down to the Bulls. Uh, and last night was their first preseason game. Uh, last night being Monday, everybody's hearing this. The show will be at Saturday, but they they played the Bucks at the Chicago Stadium. I call it the Chicago Stadium. I, got I still call it the Chicago That's Stadium. That's fine. You're allowed <laughs> to do that. You're <laughs> grandfathered in. I'm great. At the Chicago Stadium, uh, they lost. I didn't watch the game. I was bowling my Monday nights, my bowling night, but I was uh, following it on the uh, on the internet. So, what was your sort of overall? general thoughts were you optimistic or what were your general thoughts no i was a, i mean it was an undermanned box team it was a very tall i mean they went with the lopez brothers so a very tall more imposing team than the bulls can march out there especially with wendell carter um sideline still um so you knew size would be a, a problem to me you know jim boylan pointed out after the game the 38 three-pointers the 38 free throw attempts, both things he likes to see. So you check those boxes, but I still can't get over the fact that they can't play defense and that's a concern. So you can, you can talk about pacing and running up the floor more, but at the same time, you have to be able to stop teams. And especially if you deem yourself a playoff team or moving in that, that playoff direction, come playoff time, it's all about fourth quarter, big time stops and, being able to recognize them and understand what you have to do. And it's the same thing. Individual breakdowns, one-on-one breakdowns, uh, help side, not coming, communicating. You know, and, and I know they said, well, our best defensive player is Wendell Carter Jr. He wasn't out there. Okay, well, neither was Giannis, neither was Middleton, neither was Bledsoe. I mean, and so th- that's concerning is, you know, that the defense is still an issue. I mean, the defense, I think defensive rating last year was 25th worse and the year before that 28th worse. So mm-hmm. your first two years of the rebuild, you're talking about defensive rating that's near the bottom of the pool of the NBA. And, you know, Jim Boylan was brought in to, to be a defensive specialist. Um, so that has to, that has to change. Um, and I'm not seeing it yet. And I don't know how, you know, they talk about Zach Levine, who's not a great defender. Um, you know, they're working with him, and Lowry Markinen is a willing defender, but, you know, one-on-one against force, he's not always the best. So, and those are two of your starters. So, you know, to me, that's that, that's the concerning thing is it still exists, even though it's only one game, but it was kind of a lot of the same things that we've been seeing. 
Well, when you when you see that uh, they gave up 122 points, and you're right, the the stars of Milwaukee, their three best players, did not play in that game. Right. And the Bulls gave up 122. Now it's preseason. Yeah, the Bulls are playing. A lot of people that probably will not get any playing time Correct. themselves. So it's hard to draw any conclusions. And they're looking at lineups and kind of looking at different things to see what what they feel like works and what doesn't. So I get that, but the underlying problem is still. You gave up 122 to mostly second teamers for the Bucks. All right. Well, we'll have to watch that one as it unfolds because I, I don't know if ultimately there'd be a commentary on the coaching of Jim Boylan or just the players the that they yeah. have. Uh, you can only ask so much for a coach. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Uh, Zach Levine has been never talked about as being Kobe Bryant on no, the no, defensive no, end. No, no, yeah. uh, and, uh, so, um, and Laurie Markington's never been mistaken for Charles Oakley. Right. Uh, so that said, all right, Wendell Carter, you had a story in today's paper. Boylan frets over Carter's health issues. Wendell Carter was the number one draft choice last year. Uh, he's p- supposed to be center, uh, the starting center, and yet, uh, well, he... he uh, Hasn't practiced in how many days now? Well, he played 44 games last year and had the thumb surgery. Then this offseason, you know, the, the, he gets over the thumb surgery and, you know, okay, let's start his, let's restart the development clock. Well, now you can't because you've had this lingering sports hernia since you were 15. And they finally figure out what it was. So he had surgery for that. So instead of playing basketball, he's doing a lot of weightlifting. And you can see that physically. He's, you know, he put on about 15 pounds of muscle, which, you know, okay. Then first day of camp, twists an ankle, doesn't get a full couple days then. Then he comes back, and he gets knocked over by Zach Levine on a play, lands on his tailbone, and it's a contusion, and it's not healing well. And so, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if the start of the regular season is in jeopardy for him. I don't think it is. It sounds like it's something that, as this week goes on, um, could come closer to seeing him back on the floor. But again, I mean, now you start saying, all right, you have an undersized center. Because li- I, I think they list him at 6'11". There's no way he's 6'11". <laughs> I mean, Lowry, yeah. like Robin yeah. Lopez is, is a legit 7-footer. Yeah. And Lowry might, they list Lowry as a 7-footer. He's probably about an inch shorter than, than, than Lopez when you saw them back-to-back in the locker room last year. Wendell looks like 4 inches smaller than Lowry. So I know they list him as 6'10 or 6'11". He's not. Um, and you saw that last year. There were some centers that completely overwhelmed him. I mean, bigger, skilled centers overwhelmed him, and they had to pull him for Lopez. So um, so that, that's concerning that this thing is lingering, and now all of a sudden you have this big, durable guy that they say is their anchor in the middle who they can't keep on the court. He's not so durable. No. Yeah. And uh, uh, that, it, yeah, they, there was so much excitement built around the fact that he and Markinen would be like this one-two punch carrying us. And they were interchangeable because Wendell could actually stretch it out and has a nice mid-range game and actually can shoot threes, too. So there was that idea that this is the perfect complementary player for Lowry. And at the same time, they balked up Lowry this offseason saying, okay, we added Thaddeus Young, and, and, and now all of a sudden Thaddeus could play four and Lowry could go to the five when they want to go small and go with their kind of version of the death lineup that Golden State runs out there when they want to go with the, with the smaller lineup. And, you know, Wendell might get the break. And um, now you don't know. I mean, you, you're just kind of in the, stuck in this unknown. And today, um, you know, when, or when Wendell talked to us um, today, he even said, yeah, it's a little frustrating at this point now that this, this stuff keeps happening. So um definitely a a wait and see well here's another thing you should know about chicago bulls fans uh after a while they 
they just lose faith in certain players. And so the player that um, Boylan chose to substitute as a starter in yesterday's preseason game was Felicio. Right. And I can tell you this. I know a lot of Bulls fans. They're like, what the hell, Felicio? Right, right, And there's right. like three other options, Joe, that, that Boylan could go with just – I mean, okay, Wendell Carter, he's got this minor injury. looks like a minor injury, you right, know, right. day-to-day, whatever they say. But you could go with Thaddeus Young. Uh, you could go with the rookie. I call him Daniel Gafford. Gafford. You know what I'm saying? Gafford's really um, – they're not coming out and saying it, but Gafford's really overwhelmed right now. Is there, He had a pretty good – he had some points last night. Yeah, he, but he, in practice and kind of understanding what they want, he is really raw and really overwhelmed right now. More so. overwhelmed than Felicio. Well, Felicio, by all accounts, Felicio's had a good first week of camp. And the bottom line is you could also be saying there's no way we can ever get out from underneath this contract. So um, if he has a good week, reward him and keep him confident. Otherwise, you have – I mean, I think he is the – going into this offseason before they signed guys, he was the second highest paid guy on the team. Think about that. <laughs> Well, that may qualify as one of the worst <laughs> decisions by a general manager. That was Gar Foreman saying, century. I am smarter than all of you and watch me extend this guy for the cheap and watch what he develops into. And they realize that all of a sudden he basically God put feet where his hands are supposed to be because he can't catch the ball. <laughs> and, and, and then yesterday he has goggles on. So you're telling me you just figured out for the last three years this guy couldn't see? I mean, so now you figured out it was the eyesight. So now he's, he's wearing goggles. It's a whole new guy now. All right, let me just say this. You're going to learn this about me, Joe. A very stubborn guy. Having heard everything you just said about Felicio and the Bulls signing him, I still say the decision by the Bears to pass sure, Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, to trade up. From, I'm sorry, if you see Patrick Mahomes, it's not like the Bulls gave up on uh, Joel Embiid to sign, right. uh, you know, Felicio. I'm not ready to put Trubisky <laughs> in the Ryan Leaf department yet. Uh, so I would put him in the Rex Grossman category. Are you old enough to remember Rex I remember Grossman? Rex, yeah, um, <laughs> he took him to a Super Bowl. Yeah, see, I think I think he's a little more talented than Rex. I think he is more athletic than Rex. There's a certain sometimes editor I won't name who I see walking around the building. I don't even know if you know this guy. He's a bear diehard. All you have to do to make him just like go crazy. Go, bring, say just, Rex, no, Rex just Rosen. say Patrick Mahomes. Oh, uh, don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm on deadline. I can't talk. Guy goes breaks down. Anyway, back to the Bulls. All right. Uh, so, yeah, no, speaking for Bulls fans everywhere. We're, I like uh, Felicio's. I mean, I've seen his interview. I don't know him personally, but right. I've seen his interviews. He seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, it's I not his to fault do, that Gar overestimated his talent. Yeah, that is correct. Right. Uh, and God bless him for taking the money. Got his and, money. Uh, got his money, and it's good for him. I just was why are you starting somebody else? Why Felicio? But I get. I see your. Okay, they want to reward him for working hard right. and getting the glasses. All right, uh, let's get to Chris Dunn. We're going down the list of uh, Bulls players that uh, uh, fans uh, are perplexed by. Uh, he, of course, was a part of the Jimmy Butler trade. Uh, they got him and Laurie Markkinen, uh and uh, and Zach Levine in that trade. Right. So, he was deemed the original core. He was deemed the original core, and I. I say this. I may have told you this last time on your show. I remember watching the Bulls. Chris Dunn was playing really well. They were playing the Golden State Warriors, the champion Golden State Warriors in the Chicago Stadium. The Bulls were making a run at the Warriors, and Chris Dunn was playing great defense. He stole the ball. He went in for a dunk, and he something hung on the wrong, rim a little too long, and he fell face first. Got the trampoline f- effect, and it shot him off. He landed on his face. Is it my imagination, or he's not been the same since? Um, well, he's had a series of injuries since I think it's been the been the problem. And, and the thing is, that's kind of, you know, 
head scratching is when are you injury prone or when is everything just a freak accident? And he's had more freak things happen than injury prone. Um, mm. So here's the thing I'll say about Chris Dunn. And I, and I wrote this, I think either I've written this a couple of times. They thought in the, after the exit meeting, when they told him we are bringing in point guards this off season, whether it's the draft or free agency, um, they thought he checked out. They thought he was gone. And to his credit, his dad's, you know, I did a story on him one time, you know, it was when the whole Lonzo ball and LeVar ball and all that stuff was hot a couple of years ago. And we were out in California and he's like, yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, I have no problem with the way that dad has raised that son. Cause my dad raised me probably even harder, but he's just not out there talking about it. That was the only difference. So his dad's a hardcore tough dude. And if you know, Chris Dunn's background, before his dad was back in his life, you know, the mom was put in prison. It was just he and his brother on the streets, not letting anyone know that no one was taking care of him. And his older brother would bring him to these games. And, you know, he's 10, 11 years old and have him play one-on-one against 14 or 15 year olds that, you know, have gang backgrounds lying that they had money to back the bet when they didn't have money. And so when you talk to Chris Dunn about pressure, he's like, that's pressure. Cause I know if I don't win this game, Someone may get shot because we don't have the money to make this bet. So, um, but he was just that kind of player as a, as a, as a young guy. So, um, they thought he checked out, and they even said Chris Dunn's checked out, and they were shopping him. But it's just they weren't going to get. They were going to get back a penny on a dime, and it's one thing penny on a nickel, but this was on a dime. A guy that they deemed core, and they they overvalue their guys at times. But I get it where they just said, "Hey, he's a defensive guy. Defense is still a problem. Let's keep him around. See what happens." To Chris's Chris Dunn's credit, he went home. Whether it was the old man or whether it was you know his camp, they got his head straight and told him. You know, don't go in there taking it, take it personal, but don't understand that it's still business. And so he's come back like a completely different guy, the way he's talking to us, the way he is conducting himself. So now maybe it's maturity. Maybe it's kind of understand the situation or maybe he understands, look, the NBA is about playing well and maybe it's not always for your team. Maybe it's showcasing for other teams. And so, you know, and having an opportunity somewhere else. So I think that all clicked for him. So I'm kind of excited to see what he does you know, the rest of this preseason and going into the regular season and if he has, if, if he can keep that mentality. So, you know, that's the one thing I'll say about Dunn is that shocked me. I think the organization was a little surprised too, that he came back in September with a clear head saying, all right, you, you guys got these guys, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to take it personal, but I'm not going to hold a grudge. Well, he was uh, five for eight. I'm reading your article yeah. last night. Five for eight from yeah, the Yeah, had field. a slow start and then actually played fairly well. I, I'm a, I, there's something about Chris Dunn that I really like, and I think it's based on stories I've read uh, in the Sun-Times that you wrote about his background and, and right. how, how much he's had to overcome. And I just, uh, I feel for him because, like I said, that year, I think it was 08, 18 year he was showing so much potential yeah he was he and larry were just i mean zach wasn't you know was still out or was yeah. dealing with the, the knee still and he and lowry just were clicking for like three weeks and he was closing out games for him i mean he was their closer it wasn't lowry it was done that was closing out games yes, for him in tough was. situations making big baskets and all of a sudden he has that that thing at the rim when they're play, it was a really good game i remember it was really intense and he just kind of grabbed down the rim and hung on it wrong and it just 
trampolined him and right on his face. Yeah, right on his face. And then he was out for about three weeks, I want to say. Yeah, and, and, and since then, it's kind of just been a series of, of injuries. All right, this wasn't on my list, but you mentioned him. Lori Markkinen and uh, Lowry Markkinen, excuse me, uh, the great Finnish basketball player by way of Arizona. Bulls took him a couple of years ago. Uh, if there's a potential that the Bulls have, he is it. Joe, he's yeah. got the, he has to be it. He and Zach have to be superstars. That's the way they built their roster. Superstars. Wow. If you have playoff aspirations and you have a rebuild that you promised is going to be a rebuild towards a championship, because that's what you promised. You were tired of Jimmy Butler and, and, and getting to the first or second round, so you wanted to blow it up and build a championship team. That's not my quote. That's coming out of that front office. So to build a championship team – you need elite superstar players and at least two of them. And they've deemed Larry Markinen and Zach Levine those two, not only with the contracts that they um, gave Zach, but the this offseason, the free agency. Those, those They had money, and they spent it on background uh, players that kind of help elevate those two, role players that will help elevate those two. It wasn't let's go out and get a third superstar somehow. It was let's – build around them and elevate those two. So all the chips are on the table. And the way those contracts are set, when you think about it, you know, Thaddeus and Zach and Sanoransky, all their contracts end the same time. Autos ends a year earlier. Mm -hmm. He's got, you know, this year, and then he's got the player. Yeah, yeah. Otto Mm -hmm. Porter. He's got the player option next year, which he undoubtedly will will option in at it. I think it's $28 So he's not going to get that on the open market. So you have said this is our roster for at least the next two seasons, but Zach and Lowry are the full commit. All right. So have you seen enough to say to your, uh, to say this guy is superstar material? February was pretty special. Last February for Lowry was pretty special. I think 26, 12, 30 or 42% from the field and, and really well from three point range was bringing the ball up, was rebounding, pushing the pace. Um, but then you have to go back and you say, okay, well, who did he play? Who was sitting? It's February. You're doing this before the All-Star break and after the All-Star break, you know, where, when it's a little easier for guys to kind of let go of the rope one way or the other, the trade deadline's in there. So those are things you have to weigh. But 11 games span in February is still 11 games. There's still professional players out there. So for him to put up those numbers excited the Bulls, excited you about the potential of Lowry Markinen. Those are unicorn numbers for a seven-footer. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'd rather have Larry Markin than Porzingis right now. I mean, I'll say that. You know, everyone talks about this yeah. hype around Porzingis. Yeah. Um, is Lowry going to be Dirk? I don't think they're the same type of player. I see some of the comparisons that people talk about. What we see, what we see from Lowry, though, like we'll come in late in practices and stuff, and 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 shoot arounds. Some of the stuff he does athletically, he doesn't do on the floor yet. I would like to see him move in that direction because this dude, I mean, he can handle, he can dunk, he can play with um, power around the rim. And I think right now he's almost typecasting himself into this pick-and-pop long-range shooter where you know he's added this muscle now, so now I would like to see a little bit more around the rim, and I would like to see that he's got really good handles. I mean, he can, and and he's athletic, and more more than he shows in the actual games. We see it 
on the practice floor or we see it late in, in shoot arounds i'd like to see that translate a little bit more to the court now uh by the way you talk about seeing it on practice it are reporters allowed to no watch? i mean we get we get in there and we'll get to see like the last x amount of minutes of a shoot around or um you know every so often you'll get a glimpse of stuff but lots of times it's just guys doing one-on-one stuff or you know, in Lowry's case, the first time I seen how athletic he was, he was just goofing around. We were at the the wooden, uh, we were in Los Angeles at, in the in the wooden arena, um, the practice facility there at UCLA, and he was doing stuff that I had no idea he can do. Um, you know, between the legs and dunk and, and 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 just athletic ability, we haven't really seen from him translate to on the floor. Well, one of the concerns that a lot of Bulls fans have is for some reason, uh, either he doesn't, uh, he doesn't uh, uh, force the other players to give him the ball, doesn't demand the ball. That's right, what right, I'm thinking right. Of, or the others just ignore him. So many times I'm watching a guard dribble, dribble, dribble. You talk about not playing right. defense. I'd rather dribble, dribble, dribble. You got Laurie Markin. That's why they wanted Markin to bring the ball up himself because they felt that he's the best facilitator for himself. And, and the, the, what they need to show is, okay, you deemed Zach and Lowry your two superstars. Those two don't really play that well together. They had moments last last February where they played well together, but a lot of Lowry's success came when it was Dunn and Lowry because Dunn has a pass-first mentality. Um, I want to see it happen in the fourth quarter of close games where Zach has the ball in his hands but doesn't but but has enough confidence to play pick and roll with Lowry and produce something, whether it's him producing it or Lowry, you know, going pick and pop, pick and roll. That's what I want to see it. And we didn't see we haven't seen enough of that because they're never on the floor together. One of them's always injured or one of them's you know, and so we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. For guys that have been together for this long, we have barely seen those two play together successfully. By the way, uh total tangent here, you mentioned Lori Markin. We're talking Lori Markin. He got his big break in uh, part because about two years ago, the punt. Bobby Portis slugged uh, Miritich, Miritich yeah. and uh, in in doing so, knocked Miritich out for a month. I think there's longer than more that, than that. Yeah. Okay, with that, and then concussion. got suspended. Yeah. And got suspended, and then so Lori got elevated. What was that all about? I've uh, that fight between that Bobby. had been a couple years brewing. Um, Nico came and was instantly kind of embraced. Here's the, the the funny thing: Pau Gasol is. Here's why I love Pau Gasol. This dude is the biggest crap stirrer in any locker room and has his fingerprints on nothing. He is so good. I mean, look, he played alongside Kobe and is one of the few guys that talks about getting along with Kobe because everybody hates Kobe. So then you're like, oh, well, that must be Powell's a really good guy. No, Powell's just really good at probably pinning stuff on other guys and him always looking clean. So I'll give him credit for that because, you know, oh, Powell's a renaissance man. He dates this Spanish model and he's going to operas. <laughs> this dude stirs up more than anybody but never gets his hands yeah. dirty. Yeah. And so I think – you know, Powell and Nico instantly had a good relationship, and Powell was considered a veteran leader in there. And I think Nico probably was elevated because it was Powell's guy, and it, he was a professional guy. Whether he's playing his rookie season, he still, those Europeans come over, they're still professional. They've been playing since they were 12, 13, yeah. you know, with professional guys. So I think Nico had some kind of self inflated ego, and now you get a rookie in Bobby Portis. Well, I see how the older guys haze these. I'm going to haze Bobby Portis. And I think that went on for a year or two where Nico was always kind of saying stuff to Bobby and stuff. Bobby's not about that life. Yeah. And 
that was, put it this way, there weren't a lot of guys upset when Bobby did that. It isn't like Nico was the popular guy in the locker room. And, you know, I think Pa was gone then when that happened, too. So now he doesn't have his bodyguard and stuff like that. So, um, yes, he was. He was gone by then. Yeah. So that was kind of a, a, a long time in, in the making. And should it have ended that way? No. Um, I would have loved to see. I, I've talked to some of the people that saw the tape of it. Uh-huh. And it wasn't a wind up punch, it was just a boom, just a jab that just, you know connected you know Sonny Liston you know Cassius Clay style where you couldn't see it but it hit and it hit in a bad spot well uh the interesting thing was the Bulls did not punish Bobby Portis I mean he was I mean I meant that he was suspended for eight games by the Bulls yeah Yeah. by the Bulls the NBA basically before the NBA could put their punishment the Bulls did it yeah what I'm saying they didn't immediately get rid of him in other words no 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 they They didn't blame him no they they for for having a guy sent to the hospital and concussed they were very much like yeah um you know Nico was an aggressor in that too yeah you know what I mean so you can tell so so what I've been told is the front office was pissed more at Fred Hoiberg that he always pitted those two against each other in practice and let this thing kind of get to that point Mm -hmm. rather than mix teams around. Yes, they're competing for the same spot, but you could still let them play together. And the funny thing is when Nico did come back, you remember Nico was unbelievable, but Bobby's game and those two played played so well well together. together. And I think that even ticked off more of the front office saying, well, why weren't you doing this in practice instead of having these guys always buck, you know, butt heads. Why didn't you do this earlier in practice? So this resentment didn't build. And so, no, that was, if there was a, if there's been a golden era of Chicago Bulls basketball, I'm laughing as I say this, Joe, since the 2015 debacle in Game 6 at the Chicago Stadium, uh, excuse me, United Center, uh, it has been, was that brief, what was it 10 games, where the Bulls were actually Oh, when Nico came back Nico and was telling back. teams before the game, Nico's going to beat your ass tonight. And then typical, all the writers, everybody's no, don't win, you're supposed to be tanking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for me, diehard Bulls, and, oh, no. and Nico was smart he came in and said uh i don't want to be here but i'm just going to play for nico and he did and but in doing so you know basketball is one of those sports where you can you know you can be selfish but also elevate other people's games obviously well nico is in europe right now yeah so that shows uh you know all right uh let's talk about promising rookies let's give some hope to bulls fans all right diehard bull fans out there what are some are there any promising rookies on this team that we can look forward to well i mean it's it's the obvious it's you know when you draft a guy seventh overall you you are hoping that he has promise i still don't understand what he is going to be um you're talking about kobe white Mm -hmm. now i i understand that the nba has become positionless in a lot of ways um, but the elite teams still have that that killer point guard, and so they can downplay. Well, you know, we have multi ball handlers, and we don't need a true point guard. That's like a team that doesn't have a quarterback. You got three of them, mm-hmm. but you don't have a good one. Um, so, you know, I I have to see what he could become. As you know, he went to Carolina as a two guard and kind of got thrown in the point guard role. He was drafted. When they draft him, they said he's a point guard, but he's really not a point guard. Um, so I have to see exactly what he becomes, what he is at some point, especially like we talked about, if you make it to the playoffs late in games, you're not going to be able to run on teams. At some point, you need a guy that gets you in your set mm-hmm. and understands the offense and where guys are supposed to be and w- where guys like the ball and where guys can have the most success. You need that guy. And I don't know if Kobe White 
is going to be that guy. So is he a backup too? Is he a, kind of just a, a guard and you put him out there and you give him his 20 some minutes and whenever he does, he just plays at a high speed and pushes the offense and you let him do that. He can't shoot. Uh, he showed he was a shooter in college. He hasn't shown the NBA. Mm-hmm. Three for 30 in Summer League. No, Summer League was terrible. Yeah, yeah. It was awful. Um, supposedly, it's gotten better. I think he did he hit a three yesterday? Uh, I don't, I don't know, know if he did or not. I don't think so, I don't but I, I don't know. Dunn hit a three. <clears throat> I knew that. So, um, and <laughs> this so is your excited when Yeah. And this is a guy that, you know, you're like, okay, well, we know late in game, Zach, if he has the ball in his hands, um, Dunn's not a threat to be that corner three guy, but Kobe White is. Mm-hmm. Well, not yet. So, I don't know what he is. Um, I don't know what he's going to be. I know he's fast. I know he's athletic. Um, but I, I'm not looking. He's not. I don't think he's going to be in the conversation for rookie of the year. I mean, they're going to try to get him his 15, 20 minutes a game. To develop him. To develop him. But I don't think, you know, if, if Kobe White's playing 28, 30 minutes a game, something went very wrong with someone. Mm-hmm. Or there's an injury. And there's at least. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Zach's down. Sadoransky's down. Dunn's down. Somebody's down. Yeah. So. Or Dunn's been traded. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you've written this several times uh, that the Bulls are giving Dunn an opportunity just to sort of market him, if you will. Shop right. Him. I mean, because they have to make a fi- they they could start having to make a financial decision with Dunn. Um, and before it gets to that point, you want to see if you could get something for him. All right. Well, uh, we'll close it down with this. Speaking of rookies of the year. Uh, last night was also Zion Williamson's uh, first game. He's not a bull. Everybody's with the Pelicans, New Orleans Pelicans. The Bulls could not somehow win the lottery uh, last year, Joe. Uh, once again, the Bulls failed at the lottery. Uh, so uh, I know you have a, a story you have to get out and write about Zion Williamson. Why don't you right. scoop yourself a little bit? What's your uh, your initial thoughts uh, about Zion? Well, I've, I've always kind of just been – I thought he is a complete organizational changer. Um you know, refrigerators aren't supposed to fly. God isn't supposed to make a man that's 6'6", 285 with 46-inch vertically. It's just not supposed to physically happen. I don't know what he is or what he will become, but I know he's special. I know he, you know, Barack Obama and and LeBron James don't fly to Cameron Arena to watch a, a college kid play because he's not special. So, you know, we talked to Wendell Carter, who was, you know, had friends that were still on the Duke team last year and was raving about Zion. Not just the player, the person, Mm -hmm. you know, special guy gets it, understands work ethic. You know, I mean, if his career goes wrong, it's going to be because those knees couldn't hold up that body. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, I think he is. I mean, you can't compare him to LeBron James. It's not even it's a totally different type of of player. Um, but from an excitement standpoint and the juice he brings to an organization, that's where you can make it a comparison that this might be the most exciting prospect since LeBron James. So what that becomes, we'll all see. But, I, I mean, you know, I was all in on the organization doing everything they could last year to make sure they had that highest chance of getting him. And you still didn't have the greatest chance as we all found out on draft day when, when all those, <laughs> all three teams slipped out yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, but yeah. to me, yeah. you know, you want the prettiest girl. You, you got to at least be on the dance floor asking, you yeah. know what I mean? And, um, is there anybody out there right now that you would say, Oh, the bulls should tank this year? No, yeah. this, this isn't, okay. there's no one like there's him. No tanking. No. The bulls blew it last year. No, I mean, there's no one like him. You know what I mean? There was no one that just stood out where you were like, whoa. So, um, 
Well, they were showing his. Uh, I didn't see the game, but they were showing the highlights. It was on the TV yeah. at the bowling alley last night, and I was everybody was like, "Oh my god, what was, unbelievable dunks!" And yeah, uh, you see grown men moving out of his way. Yeah, like he, I, I'd rather not. That's a business decision I don't want to take. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what he looks like in person, um, but more more so, I just want to see what he develops. How he develops, what he becomes in the NBA. Bulls play them next, correct? Wednesday, yeah, tomorrow. Wednesday, at the United Center? Although this doesn't run till Saturday. So uh, the game already happened. Everybody. He was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. Joe he probably Collin won't even play tomorrow. The future, <laughs> and he is uh, predicting big things from Zion Williamson. All right, Joe Colley, uh, folks want to get a hold of you, give a handle or whatever, where they can go to uh, get in contact with you. If you want them to contact you, no, you I don't. Want Just them. email you. All right. <laughs> if you want to contact me, email <laughs> Ben Jarofsky, all right, uh, I'll, I'll pass the message. All right, his name is Joe Cowley, covers the Bulls for my beloved Bright One, the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, he does a great job. I've now had him on the show twice. I think he should have his own podcast, but uh, as long as he doesn't have his own podcast, I'll just keep bringing him back to mind. Anytime, you know, anytime. All right, great. I'm Ben Jarofsky. That's Joe Cowley. Take care, everybody.